So this is the word of the Lord, and we do give thanks be to God. And so this morning, I've been uh, tasked, or I have the privilege, of speaking about another of our Calvary Cork essentials, uh, what it means to, yeah, the most like important parts of us, and the things that we at this church have been sustained by, and by God's grace, in the decades to come, will hopefully still be defined by. And this morning, we're speaking about the word of the Lord. <clears throat> and so, I would say that we as a church, okay, that's, thank you. Um, yeah, so we've seen that as a part of our essentials, uh, you know, last year we learned a lot about essential workers. Uh, we learned about the things that like always happen no matter what. Well, Calvary Cork has essentials. Uh, last week, we considered about how we are a Jesus-centered church. That means always. That means on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights. That means in person or online. Uh, we will and always have been and will continue to be Jesus-centered. And connected to that, flowing out of that, is uh, today's essential ingredient. Uh, we are a Bible-treasuring church. And so here's what I want to do for the next couple of minutes. If you are a note-taker, or if it just helps you to think better, here's the two things we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about why we treasure the Bible. And then we're going to talk about how we treasure the Bible. That's it. Nothing fancy. Why we treasure it and how we treasure it. So with that in mind, I'm going to pray and we'll talk about this very important, essential attribute of our church community. Lord, we do, um, we do love you. And the reason why we love you is because you loved us first. Um, that's what the Apostle John uh, tells us. Uh, the ability that we have, the, the life in our lungs, the, the love in our hearts, it comes because you have preemptively loved us first. So we thank you for that. Lord, as our uh, Bibles are opened and as our minds are giving attention to your word, um, help us, dear Lord, to think thoughts that are true, um, to receive the truth with open minds. And God, thank you for what you've done in this church community um, and what you will continue to do as we are a Bible-treasuring church. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so what's our first point? What's our first half of this message going to be about? I just said it. Yeah. Why? Listen, I know the answer. I'm not asking you because I don't know. I'm asking because I'm wondering if you were listening. First thing is why do we trust the Bible, or rather, why are we a Bible-treasuring church? Here's the first reason. It's very core, very foundational. The first reason as to why we treasure the Bible is because the Bible is true. Uh, we believe it to be a true word from God to us. And that really is an underlying assumption to all that we do 
here at Calvary Cork. That's why we exist as, as a church, is that we believe God has spoken and acted in time and space and history, and we have the record, the living words that record past events and also communicate to our future, our present rather, and predict our future. We're big into the Bible, and the reason why is because we believe that it is true and accurate. Here's a glimpse into uh, the Neglia household from a couple nights ago. I was putting my four-year-old son, Finn, uh, to bed. And we always start with a book of his choosing, and then we always end uh, with a Bible story. And so after we completed Mr. Men, Mr. Silly, Mr. Cold, it's always those, you know. Um, and we just finished that one, and then we opened up uh, the Bible story that we were going through. And, uh, and he interrupted, and he says this. Wait, Dad, I have a question. That's how he talks. Wait, Dad, I have a question. And it's like, uh, is this real? <laughs> is this real? So he wants to know if this book that we keep coming back to over and over again is real. You see, his whole life, he's been around the Bible, uh, he's been hearing the Bible read to him, you know, every night. Uh, even, you know, these, uh, these recent days, uh, we've been doing our family Bible time at dinner, going through the God's Word to Me curriculum that maybe some of you are familiar with. And so he knows that our family likes the Bible. Uh, he's probably familiar with the stories in it. But in his very, like, blunt, um, four-year-old way, he, he had a epistemological musing <laughs> or rather he actually just wanted to know wait dad did this actually happen uh, and so it gave us a chance for a little chat uh, before bedtime about how the stories that we read in the bible they're fundamentally different than the stories about mr men you know and all the things that take place with mr hungry and mr topsy-turvy the bible is a different kind of literature and so that kind of prompted me to think maybe it's worth it from time to time on a Sunday morning to talk about the underlying assumptions uh, that we have um, as a church and that we as Christians uh, believe. I'm speaking as a Christian to a group of probably largely Christians. If you're not a Christian, you're so welcome, and you get a chance to listen in as we talk about something that is very important to us. Here is a, a quote from the Calvary Cork Statement of Faith. It's available on calvarycork.org. Uh, you can find out more details. Here's the section that addresses uh, what this church holds uh, regarding the Bible. We believe the Bible is inspired, infallible, authoritative, inerrant word of God, and is relevant and applicable to humanity today. Therefore, we place great emphasis upon teaching it in public, studying it in private, and using it as a guide for our daily lives. And so there you have the kind of doctrinal statement. Uh, maybe some of you are wondering about what does inerrant mean? What does infallible mean? Well, it means that it uh, contains no errors and has no teachings that are untrue. These are kind of modern terms that I think encapsulate well the ancient understanding of the truthfulness of scriptures. Uh, this is how the ancient authors understood the biblical documents. Uh, this is, I believe, how Jesus understood the scriptures that came before him. And this is how the majority of the church ever since 
has understood uh, this book as God's authoritative, inerrant word to us. And, and you know what? We're not going to get into all the reasons why. This is a great thing for a, a workshop or a lecture on a different time. But the reasons for believing, the truthfulness um, of this book are, are many. I just want to briefly reference or, or mention the, the archaeological discoveries that time and time again back up the, the writings of this ancient uh, book. Historical figures that had no reference apart from the page of this, of this book, that people often thought must have been allegories or made up. The, the archaeologist Spade or Trowell keeps uncovering and discovering evidence that backs up the truthfulness of the Bible. And in addition to that, that's looking back, fulfilled prophecy is another thing that sets the Bible apart in the realm of ancient literature. You see, you see the Bible wasn't written as a once-off completed book. Uh, maybe you didn't know this, but it was written bit by bit over a period of thousands of years. And there are parts in the beginning that describe with great detail events that will take place hundreds of years afterwards. Another clue of the divine origin of this book. Uh, you can talk to me afterwards for recommended resources or books um, that can go into any of those details. But here's the, what the summary is. I believe the Bible is a historical, accurate, supernaturally preserved, and it's brimming with insights into the natural world, which then I think give us confidence into its descriptions of the supernatural world as well. So firstly, foundationally, essentially, we treasure the Bible here because we believe that it's true. However, there's lots of things that are true, right? Like, like uh, a sports almanac is full of truth, right? Uh, a weather report, well, hang on a second, not that. Um, a dictionary is true. A dictionary contains no errors nor contradictions. But I think there's something more than only saying that the Bible is true. It's certainly not less than truth, but more. I believe the Bible is both true and beautiful. Uh, the insights that it gives into God's creation is unrivaled and unparalleled. And when I talk about God's creation, I guess the first thing that I think of is like the universe that he made. But then I think about God's creation, which is the, uh, the humans who populate the universe that God made. You see, the Bible gives like startling and keen insight into human life and experience. Those of us who are made in his image, which is all of us. And I think if you can recall, if you've been here for the past 11 weeks, uh, the times that we've looked at the Psalms, haven't they shown us the unique insight into like a deep and accurate understanding of the inner life? So I, I believe that the Bible is true and beautiful, and the words found in the pages of Scripture have offered hope to many, have been an instigator of courage in scores more. But let me just say this. It isn't only beautiful because it gives people a nice boost when they need it, although it does. But it's mostly beautiful because of the dignifying 
and the ennobling power that it offers. You see, there are, I think, really two major skeptical critiques of the Bible that are out there these days. Uh, One of them might be a bit older, and one of them might be more contemporary. Here is the first objection to the Bible, is that it's not true. And the second objection to the Bible is that it is not good. See, the critique that I think is getting more and more airtime in contemporary Ireland is not that the Bible contains errors or the manuscript evidence is spotty or there's a lack of archaeological evidence. You see, what tends to get more and more airtime these days is that the Bible is contrary to human flourishing. And I think that is an objection uh, that I would listen to and then point to the consistent countercultural emphasis found within these pages of the dignity and the nobility of every human being who ever has lived. Uh, those that are culturally disdained and discarded are shown to be treasured and beloved by the king of the universe. Uh, You know, as we consider the impact of of Scripture upon those who read it and have allowed it to influence them, we see positive societal institutions, like, for example, hospitals, and corrective social reform. For example, like the abolition of slavery or the civil rights movement can be traced back to those who have been most profoundly and deeply impacted by the Bible's beautiful teaching on the dignity and value and worth of human life. And maybe you're thinking, okay, yeah, but hasn't the Bible been used by those that are trying to cause harm? To which I say, sadly, yes. But that speaks of humanity's deep capacity to bring ugliness out of beauty more than it indicts the Bible for a lack of goodness. Or to put it another way, those that are using these words to enhance and restore and renew dignity, they're going with the flow of its streams and tributaries and rivers and allowing those currents to take them as they will. And... Those that use these words to dehumanize or degrade and deplete, they're going against its flow. They're paddling upstream with the wind in their face, but yet somehow they persist. And so here at Calvary Cork, we we believe that the Bible is true and that the Bible is beautiful, both for its personal devotional impact and for its impact on society at large. And and here's why. The next point. It renews our minds. It, It cleanses. It changes. It has an impact that is supernatural, as it came from a supernatural source, so it impacts people and changes us from the inside out. It's not just food for thought, but it's an active supernatural power for change. Here's how Psalm 19 describes 
the power of God's word. It says the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul, bringing life out of death. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And the rules of the Lord are true, and they're righteous altogether. And so in various different poetic ways, it speaks about the word of God, the Bible, its ways of changing. Again, reviving the soul. A soul that has died is made alive again. Rejoicing the heart, the heart that is downcast, is imbued with hope once again. And I love this one. This is my personal testimony. Making wise the simple. You know, certainly I want more of that. But may we not ever think, well, I'm not wise enough nor smart enough to dive deep into the scripture. If you're not wise enough, great job. You're qualified. It makes you wise. It brings light to dark eyes. It brings cleanliness where there is uh, defilement. The word of the Lord renews and changes. I I can agree with what Martin Luther says. Uh, Martin Luther says that the, the Bible is alive. It speaks to me. The Bible has feet. It runs after me. The Bible has hands. It lays hold of me. And I love that, that image, obviously poetic. It's not anatomically correct. Uh, but that image that many, maybe you've experienced it, uh, you're sitting down and you realize, hang on a second. This is a two-way experience. I'm reading this book, but this book is reading me. You know, and it, it is coming after me, and it's not going to let me alone. This book is at an agenda to change my life. And you know what? It does. And it's empowered by God himself to do so if we yield. So what have we seen so far? The Bible is true. The Bible is beautiful. The Bible renews our minds. And and here's how it does this. By pointing us towards Christ and towards his gospel. You see, the Bible is not just a collection of ethical principles or moral appeals to change your life, or it's not full of only just parables and, and principles to make your life better. It's a, it's a thrilling story, and it also is a, it's a wonderful invitation. Um, Augustine of Hippo, a North African Christian from long ago, um, who is a bit of an academic and a philosopher, he says this, I have read in Plato and Cicero, sayings that are wise and beautiful, but never in either have I read, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Drawing us back to our call to worship, here we have again this invitation from the Lord through the pages of his word. So the Bible invites us to come and to place our burden upon the Lord Jesus. And it's not just 
when his words speak to us that invites us to do that. The Bible points us towards Christ and his gospel on every page, I believe. We really talked about this a lot last week. And if this is your first time visiting, we're so glad you're here. Make sure that you go back last week and hear one of our core essentials that we are a Christ-centered church. We're a Christ-centered church and a Bible-treasuring church because they point to each other. Here's some thoughts on this. Luke 24, there's a lot of verses that will be up on the screen. Very important to us at Calvary. Uh, Jesus, after his resurrection, he says this, you know, How foolish are you and slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. This is after the resurrection. Jesus speaks to some of his discouraged disciples who didn't think it was going to happen. And he's like, don't you know the whole Bible is about me? He talks about how Moses and the prophets and then all the scriptures are concerning himself. And then we jump down a few verses. He says this, this is what I told you when I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds that they could understand the scriptures. You see, Jesus understood that the whole Bible is on this Christward trajectory. It's all pointing towards him. And so, We believe that the Old Testament is the gospel concealed. The New Testament is Jesus Christ revealed. So again and again and again, one of the reasons why we love and the Bible is essential to us is that we can't get away from pointing towards our Messiah and Savior, Jesus. So we don't just come to it as a source of wisdom for living or even interesting facts about the world, but we come to the Bible to hear the good news of God's gracious provision. Provision for our eternal salvation and provision for our daily empowerment through the gospel of Christ. And so that's why here at Calvary Cork, we're a Bible treasuring church. Because it's true. Because it's beautiful. Because it brings renewal to our hearts and minds through its frequent and regular presentations of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's why. And here's how. So the next part second half. And I think the second half is shorter than the first half. Although that makes it not a half, does it? I'm bad at math. <laughs> so anyway, I think the first part is, was longer than the second part. We'll see. So that's why we treasure the Bible. Here's how we treasure the Bible. At Calvary Cork, as a Bible treasuring church, it's essential to us that we carefully journey through entire books of the Bible. Uh, This is something that has regularly surprised visitors. It's been a a great thing to me. I mean, even even some of you, I've had this conversation with some of you before. As as you visit a week and come back the week after, and then then you ask this question, wait a second, do you just go all the way through the Bible? (laughs) Do you go all the way through entire books? Uh, Someone has said, with, you know, a bit of a smirk, but I think there was a genuine question behind it. Um, Someone said in recent years, what about the boring parts? What about the irrelevant parts? And my cheeky answer then was like, listen, I've been doing this for like 15 years, and I haven't come across one of those yet. I'll let you know when I find it. Haven't found an irrelevant part 
and haven't found a boring part yet. Whether it's through the Gospel of John or whether it's through the book of Joshua, since we treasure the Bible, we want to go through all of it, letting it have its fair shake. This is part of the, uh, the Calvary Chapel heritage. Uh, as you may or may not know, Calvary Cork is part of a, a network of churches called Calvary Chapel. And uh, if you were to visit, if you're on holiday and you Google Calvary Chapel nearby, if you happen to, to go in on any continent, uh, odds are you'll visit a place that might have a bigger congregation or smaller than us. They might have a worse band or a worse band, actually. There's no one with better... Um, Odds are, no matter what may be different, you're probably going to stumble upon a church that is journeying through one of the 66 Bibles of the one of the 66 books of the Old or New Testament. Listen, we're not the only church that does this. However, it's a wonderful core that goes across this whole network that we get to be a part of. And here's why we do that: because we truly believe what was read at the start of the service. See, Josh did a great job of starting us off with, with 2 Timothy chapter 3. And then I'll have it up there on the screen. But it says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good word. Good work. You catch those first words? How much scripture? Some scripture most scripture. It says all scripture, not just the famous parts, not just the feel-good parts, but we believe that we need all of it. We need to be taught from all of it, trained by all of it, and sometimes rebuked and corrected by it as well. Uh, Paul said to the Ephesian church as he was making his goodbyes in Acts chapter 20, uh, he spoke to them and he says, you know, you know that I didn't shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. goes on to say in Acts 20, 27, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. He says, as much as I could, you know, whether it's in a house or in a bigger gathering, I want the counsel of God, the big message of God's word to be communicated to you. Um, Chuck Smith says this, a primary distinctive of Calvary Chapel is our endeavor to declare to people the whole counsel of God. Or, as Kirk Alexander puts it, since God's word is what convicts and converts and builds up and sanctifies God's people, expository preaching allows his agenda to set the agenda for the church. Now, expository preaching is what we're doing, ironically, not today, but every other week, um, going through a passage, allowing the main points of that passage to be the main points of what we talk about. And he is Kirk, I love what Kirk says, God's word has the power, so let God's word really take prominence and priority and set the agenda for what's talked about week after week after week. So we carefully journey through entire books of the Bible, uh, obviously with breaks, 
for Christmas and for, you know, events like this, or even, you know, spending 10 weeks in the Psalms. But you know that even if we take a break, it's not going to be long before we start a new book at chapter 1, verse 1, and then work our way through until we finish it, no matter how long it takes. <laughs> we carefully journey through books of the Bible, and here's, a, here's another way that we show how we value God's Word. We emphasize and encourage personal reading and familiarity with the scriptures. We want the people of Cork to be populated by as many biblically literate people as possible. That's your job. It's a big city out there, small church in here. But we want you to know the Bible so well We want there to be this familiarity of living and breathing and knowing it so that we're able to, with our workmates, with our parents or our children, with our colleagues, to be able to to have a word of God in our minds, in our hearts, and on our tongues to get this good news out there. Familiarity with the scriptures, I think, is one of our goals. Nehemiah 8.8, a very important passage for for me personally, um, speaks about a time when the people of Israel were, were scattered and they finally came back and they gathered together for the first time. was thinking about this a lot during lockdown. Can't wait to be gathered together once again. And Nehemiah 8.8 says that they read the book of the law of God distinctly and they gave the sense and caused the people to understand the reading. The people of God were scattered. They finally got a chance to come together. And you know, they had a lot of building projects in the book of Nehemiah. One of the things they built was a pulpit. And it was on a platform. We don't have a platform here. Maybe one day. Maybe not. Who knows? We'll get around to it. But it was an elevated pulpit so that somebody could read the word of God. And then do you know what they did? They got in groups and they talked about it to make sure that everybody understood it. They had public proclamation, and they had private conversation to make sure that everyone understood what was, the, what was being read. And the goal, again, is understanding that leads to familiarity, and that causes transformation for us individually and the city beyond. I know what some of you are thinking. Could you read this Calvary Cork Statement of Faith again? I'm glad you asked. Yes, I will. The Bible is inspired, infallible, authoritative, inerrant word of God, and it's relevant and applicable to humanity today. Therefore, so because of that, we placed great emphasis upon teaching it in public, studying it in private, and using it as a guide for our daily lives. And, and we've, we've tried we have various campaigns over the years um, to, to make that a reality. It's, it's essential to us. It's important to us. Um, presently, we're doing God's Word to Me, which are these family discussion guides working through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, obviously, there's our community groups, which have just launched up. And again, I think every single ministry we have is going through the Bible together one way or the other. But this is one of our essentials. We're a Bible treasuring church. We're in confusing and challenging times, aren't we? And so we need the guidance of the Lord and we need discernment now more than ever. And, and you know what? Psalm 19 says that the word of the Lord makes wise the simple and grants, I believe, discernment for us in a time when we need it the most. Uh, Jen Wilkins says this, It's not coincidental that a lack of discernment and a neglected Bible 
are often found in company. People making foolish decisions, oftentimes it flows from that first foolish decision to neglect your Bible. J.C. Ryle says this, happy is the man who possesses a Bible. Happier still is he who reads it. Happiest of all is he who not only reads it, but obeys it. And so as we kind of close, I want to say, I want to leave you not just with these concepts. I want you to walk away from this thinking, okay, so great. I attend a church that is at its essence a Bible treasuring church. All right, tick, got it. Um, Here's some ways that you can access this treasure. So if it's a buried treasure, I want to give you a spade, you know? If it's a hidden treasure, I want to give you a map. Here's how we get a hold of this wonderful treasure. Number one, you got to own one. And we'll give you one today if you don't have one, okay? Number two, J.C. Ryle says, you got to read it. Here's how you do that. There's two different ways to do this, okay? I'm going to really break it down. You know, this is my, like, seminary education. This is my years of experience distilled down into this, this core truth, all right? You just read it. And there's two ways to read it. You read it fast or you read it slow. And I think that both of those have their strengths and that you should do both. Here's how you read it fast. You sit down one day and you say, I'm going to read two pages of the Bible. Two pages. And I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to start on this part of the page and I'm going to go all the way through until I come to the end. If I have a question about a word, what a word means, if there's a character that's introduced, and I've never heard of Melchizedek before, so what? Just keep reading. <laughs> you just read through and you get that big picture because as you read a page or two, you're going to get the big idea. Okay, this is basically about that. So you can read the Bible fast. Or, you guys want to know the other fruit of my years of experience in seminary education, the other way of reading the Bible is you read it slow. slow. Yeah. On some other days, maybe you say, I want to sit down. I'm just going to read a paragraph. I'm going to read a verse or two. And I'm going to spend my time with it. I'm going to wring it out like a damp hand towel. I'm going to see all that I can get out of this particular paragraph, these particular verses, or this one verse. I'm going to write it out. I'm going to say it out loud multiple times in a row. I want to hear myself reading it. I want to look it up in different translations. I want to write down what I understand about it, and I want to write down what I don't understand. And then I want to go find out. I want to take a small section and go slowly and deeply into it. And I think each of these methods, they each serve a purpose. We read quick, get the big picture. We read slow, and we draw out depth and significance for it. So read it fast or read it slow. Now, that's what you do on your own. What do we do on a Sunday morning at 11 a.m. when we gather together? Well, here's what you should bring. You should bring a prepared soul. As you come on a morning like this, ask God before you get here, in the drive, in the car park, in your bed, as you're getting out of bed at like 10.50 or whenever it is that you childless people uh, get to sleep into, (laughs) um, to, to pray, God, would you give me like a hunger for your word? Um, Would you give me like an eagerness to receive it? In uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul commends the Thessalonian Christians and says, you know, you received this as the word of God. 
So may we have like a receptivity and a hunger. Someone has quipped that when it comes to receiving Bible teaching or like listening to sermons, sometimes you get what you pray for. Um, maybe have you considered that like the sermon preparation process, it's not up to the preacher alone. Maybe the sermon preparation process should involve whoever's teaching the word this Sunday um, for them to put in the work and to put in the hours. But maybe it involves five minutes of you saying, God, would you help me to be that good soil in the parable? Help me to be receiving and treasuring what comes from your word. Do you come hungry? When I first uh, moved to Ireland, I went on a, like a hiking, camping trip uh, with, uh, with some acquaintances. And we, you know, hiked up to the top of uh, Karen Tuhill, I think, which is not that big of a hike, but it's, 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 it's enough. And, uh, and when we got there, we had those little camping um, stove things and, and just had, I think, just like Tesco burgers, you know, like, remember Tesco value? Um, like Tesco value burger, like four for a euro, you know, and just like cooked it and he, and, and as we're like sitting there, like, like it's too hot to hold and we didn't bring um, buns and we're just, and there was, I've never tasted anything better in all of my life. It was the most delicious because I was, we were all tired, we were hungry, we we're sore and, and uh, someone equipped, you know, hunger is the best sauce. Have you heard that phrase before? I'd never heard it before, and I was like, I, that's the most clever. Did you just make that up? I was like, no, people say it here. Um, hunger is the best sauce. That was the best thing I've ever eaten in my life because I was so tired and so hungry. Well, I would say that a mediocre sermon that lands on a prepared and prayed-up hearer is likely going to do far more good than perfect delivery that lands on a distractive and inattentive pew potato. <laughs> so, sermon preparation involves the preacher and the hearer. So bring a prepared soul. Bring a rested body, if possible. In as much as it's up to you, do what you can to honor the Lord by not attending church sleepy or groggy or exhausted. Now again, I just said that and so many, I, I lost so many of you, because <laughs> it's not up to me, Mike, if I'm exhausted or not. I get it. Um, some of us have children that demand our attention in the middle of the night. Uh, some of us have illnesses that sap our strength during the day. And those things are out of our control. But there pl is plenty that is within our control. So let's prepare our body to receive the hearing of the word by getting as much rest as we can before you come to hear the message. Fatigue hinders your ability to concentrate. So maybe that might change your plans on a Saturday night. And isn't it great the government shut down everything at midnight on Saturday nights anyway to help you out. So they're working for you for you to be less fatigued on Sunday morning. Um, a prepared soul, a rested body, a ready response. James 1 says that we should not just be hearers but doers of the word. Having a ready response means that we come to, to hear God's word with like a predetermined response to say, you know what? I want to hear from God and I want to obey him. And that comes back with our final reading to what Josh read at the beginning. Jesus says this. And again, maybe, maybe some of you whose kids are upstairs in Lighthouse, maybe you know this verse. 
Everyone who hears my word and does it, oh, sorry, I got nervous. I know it, trust me, but I got nervous. Everyone who hears then, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was that fall. So Calvary Cork is a Bible treasuring church because we know that these words are the very words of God and we want to be like those wise men who built their house upon a rock. So it's true, it's beautiful and we are so thankful for it. Lord, we come to you And we are privileged to have many of us printed Bibles on our laps. And many of us likely have additional copies of them back home. What a rich treasure that we have. Help us to be those who treasure that treasure. That we don't look at it as a light thing, nor take it for granted. But to realize that it is your truth to us that it can change us from the inside out by the power of your Holy Spirit, applying those words to our heart and empowering us to change. And Lord, I pray that we would be those that know and love and treasure your word. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.